Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a licensed nutritionist. And I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach. I run Strength Guild. I also compete in powerlifting, Highland Games. And this morning, I am taking my daughter right after the show to weigh in for her next boxing match at the state games. So, wow, nice. Yeah, she's she's having to eat her way up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from eighty, like eighty three to ninety five, because the girl she's fighting can't get lower than a hundred. Oh my! So uh, yeah, oh. she's giving away about twenty pounds, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, uh, owner of Extreme Human Performance, faculty member at the Kerrigan Institute, Cardioflex Diet, and I just got done giving two talks here at the NSCA National Conference in Indianapolis, which I'm still here for one more day, and it's been super fun. There you go. All right. Well, it sounds like there's a news opportunity there. Is there anything uh, you want to share as far as what's happening? Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, I mean, a couple of talks, uh, you know, a lot of the talks have been super cool. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when we <laughs> go to conferences like this, it's also to be reminded of things we should be doing and to see, you know, does the, the data still support that? Uh, so Dr. Bill Campbell gave a great talk about body composition in uh, athletes who are on the leaner side, so not necessarily obese individuals, but athletes that are looking to get even leaner than where they're at already. And if we look at the research on that, as you guys know, there's just not a lot of data on that specific population. Yeah. It's the target of what we're talking to here. And his three principles, which, again, at surface level are, are nothing earth-shattering, uh, but it was cool to actually see data behind them. Uh, the first one he said is make sure your rate of loss is relatively slow. And I know that's, even in fitness circles, has been a little bit um, debated. But he did show some very interesting data that if your rate of loss is super fast, again, there were short studies, um, that you can lose muscle mass. Yeah. Um, so slower is going to be better. Again, not earth-shattering. Uh, two is high protein will help retain uh, lean body mass, which we've seen very cool data of that. We've had Stu Phillips on here before. Jose Antonio has done some of those studies. Um, and again, not earth-shattering, but... I, I was kind of surprised at how many diets I see every once in a while from people looking to lose fat, and their protein is not horribly low, but probably lower than what it could be. And the third one was resistance train when you're dieting, and that's mainly you're not going to, unless you're new, you're not going to build a ton of lean mass doing that, but you're providing that anabolic stimulus in an otherwise very catabolic background. His whole point was just, what are things we can do? to try to hold on to as much lean body mass because that's going to take us months and in some cases years to add. Mm -hmm. You don't want to spend two weeks just doing some ill-prepared cutting phase and see it all go away. Yeah. I, I do think it's a common mistake that a lot of guys, they think about adding protein when they're trying to gain mass, not when they're dieting. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and it's so filling and, you know, that's just practical ways, you know, not just sort of the leucine and the... 
muscle preservation stuff. Yeah, but they honestly, and we've all talked about this, sometimes it's better to pull back on the protein a little bit if you're eating huge yeah. amounts when you're trying to gain. Um, but back to those old days of balancing calories and protein, you know, uh, if you're low cal, you really do, you know, need to focus on that extra protein, not just for the satiety, but yeah, just to maintain your muscle mass. I was talking with Pep Wall, the gym owner, my gym owner recently, and um, we were actually talking about how different, now all of a sudden it's some, and I'm not ripping on, on Bill, he's awesome, um, yeah. but a lot of people like in clinical settings are like, oh, resistance training and, and high quality proteins preserve muscle during cancer wasting or AIDS wasting, and mm-hmm. it's like, God, I mean, guys like Michael Mooney, it seems like 100 years ago were championing yeah. that for AIDS <laughs> you know, patients and it's just, or even he was even a champion of steroids, you know, for uh, muscle wasting and whatnot. And why not? You know, but the stigma is such anyway, it's just funny to me that, you know, we're kind of laughing that bodybuilders so often are are poo-pooed or strength athletes. Oh, you know, self-experimenting, you know, Guinea pigs. And it's like, well, you know, the stuff that they do, they have decades of understanding of how to maintain muscle mass and that has clinical application. You know, for oh yeah, for, for sick people. Yeah, if, not, if nothing else, that's a great place to start your study from, right? Just, Absolutely. You know, pool some anecdotal data and talk to people and go, well, it seems like this is a better place to start than over here. Well, let's you know see what happens in a more formally controlled environment. Yeah, so, to, it's I agree. A, it's to me, it's a no brainer, right? If you look at the population, yeah. what group would you study? Well, how about the people that are trying to maximize a muscle mass and maintain body composition at the same time? You know. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, someone was good. Another one, uh, I'll just highlight there's a bunch of other great ones too, but um, Dr. Greg Happ did a good talk on about periodization, if it's dead or not dead. And he's obviously a big fan of periodization. He's published a just ton of work. I mean, he's done the book with Bompa and uh, did all his original research with Doc Stone and all those guys back in the day. And But it was cool. He did a nice kind of little history of it, you know, going back to you know, all the early Russians like Medyev and, mm-hmm. you know, Verkashansky after that who kind of disagreed with them. And he made a good point that I think there's a big difference between periodization, planning, and then actually programming. And I think that a lot of people get those kind of mixed up between that. And his main point was that periodization is kind of the big overall, you know, macro view that you're taking. And then you have to actually plan using periodization to create your purposeful training. And the training plan programming is more of the micro kind of day-to-day or even set-to-set um, changes. So I thought that was a pretty good analogy and a good way of looking at it from a systemic point of view. That's cool. Yeah, uh, periodization is something that, in the nutrition world at least, we're, I still feel like, we haven't caught up. You know, things are so slow no, to change. I'm getting there. But nutritional periodization is almost something, it's just something you don't often hear about, but it just makes sense. You know, you're going to match that to meet the different mesocycles and all that. But yeah, it's fun to hear people talk about periodization. Um, there's a couple of industry people that I respect that question certain aspects. And we, we've kind of mm-hmm. gone after linear periodization at all costs before you know like irrespective of client needs and all that kind of stuff could be a mistake rookie mistake and so yeah that sounds cool yeah and that was kind of the side note of his too is looking at there's some other studies questioning the the han silo's gas principle and things of that nature so he was kind of highlighting those which was good for me to write down a bunch of those studies because i'm in the process of 
so at some point trying to go back and pull a lot of that original stuff and I don't know I've listened to people on both sides and I I'm trying to remain semi-neutral on my opinion so I could go back and read a lot of the original studies again too but um yeah it was a great talk I saw a very cool talk. God, it's probably been five or six years ago now at a ASEP meeting. Uh, Ripito was kind of, it was interesting history about if you want to actually publish something that heavily critiques periodization, there are certain journals where it's actually unlikely to even appear, you know, because yeah, they kind of buy true. into that <laughs> concept. Yeah, it's, it was, he was, it was a really good talk. I mean, he's, he was fun to listen to, too, because he's a little salty. But he's obviously yes. very intelligent, and I, I liked how he kind of went after the status quo, you know, so it was cool. Nice. Um, did you guys see the new uh, study on liver damage from supplements is on the rise? Thing? No. Um, in short, the analysis in the analysis, the researchers found that two substances stand out posing unique threats to the liver. Anabolic steroids. Duh. Um, <laughs> and green tea extract. Mm, really? I wondered about uh, that. Yeah, yeah, there's some the animal data that's not <clears throat> that favorable at high doses. In the uh, in the study, they said uh, 24 of 130 cases linked uh, to liver damage, and 10% of those 24 died. So, <laughs> yeah, so from the acute liver damage from the green tea extract, enough that France and Spain have now removed it and made it illegal to sell. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I had not heard this. Yeah. Huh. So, Where is that from, Phil? Well, somebody just posted it on Iron Radio. Oh, uh, okay, last, cool. Last night, so it's on there on the Facebook page, but it's Consumer Reports. The doctor is Dr. Boo Boo Marvin M. Lipman, MD. Hmm. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, crowdsourcing for the win from the Iron Radio yeah. Um, yeah. group, huh? It was published in the Journal of Hepatology. Serious business. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, that's one of those things I'd wondered about because there's, like I said, some animal data on green tea extract. And so some of the stuff for, uh, I do a little bit of work with a couple supplement companies, not many. But for a while I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. I mean, the data on it for fat loss is just not super impressive anyway. Yeah. And you see some animal data and I'm like, eh, I would pass on that for now. Yeah. But. It's you know always cool to look at the dosage and you know see what's going on too. Now, but, are, yeah, it's super interesting. Are we talking about the EGCG in particular? Did it say what I, part of it or? Uh, I didn't even say because I'm not reading the I actual study. I'm just reading a little excerpt, so it doesn't say. It just says green tea extract. Gotcha. Yeah, we'll have to follow up on that. Uh, wow, that's yeah. kind of disturbing. Uh, obviously, yeah. drinking tons of green tea itself doesn't affect millions of Asians, right? Who drink yeah. many yeah. cups a yeah. day, so they're going to go after the supplement. The, like the standardized yeah. extract, I guess, huh? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that was the animal data, too. And obviously, trying to get rats to sit around and drink tea is going to be hard. But yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> in the study, they used a pretty high concentrate. I can't remember the exact amount now, but it was, it was definitely on the higher end. I have, when working with supplement companies like you, Mike, you know, you, you talk to them, they're like, well, this has been consumed for thousands of years. I'm like, yeah, as a tincture, like kind of just in a yes. tea, you, you, you heat matters. up a, yeah, a, a brew, a root or something or some leaves. That's not going to be the same thing as a standardized extract that's heavily concentrated. And I'm not, I don't think I'm worried about green tea extracts, but you're right. As far as bang for the, or like pros and cons and benefits, yeah. there's not really that much going on. I actually did some work once with a combination of, um, it was green tea, caffeine, um, 
it was specifically e- EGCG as an extract with with caffeine mm-hmm. and um, tyrosine. And I did yeah. see 24-hour, like, metabolites of, of adrenaline start to appear in, in the bloodstream, or I'm sorry, in, in someone's urine. But, mm, you know, yeah, I, I, I whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just think it's it's worth it. People don't just say, oh, my God, I stopped drinking my green tea. No, I don't think anybody's saying that. Yeah. You know, because so. there could be, and I don't know this for sure, but there very well could be other compounds in green tea when it's brewed that one are changed, the form is different, the concentration is different. And there may be other compounds in there that counteract it also. And then with tea, it also depends on how long you leave it brew, right? So if you put a green tea bag in there and you just leave it sit for many, many minutes, the caffeine content slightly goes down a little bit to get bound to the the catechins and the tea and stuff. So even something as simple as like brew time can make a difference in what you're actually looking at too. Mm -hmm. Right on. Yeah, you know, the um, one of the compounds in green tea that's beneficial, I'm interested in is theanine. Right, theanine mm-hmm. in, in tea and whatnot is um, something else that could be helpful. It has some anti-inflammatory properties. I even saw something recently that theanine applied topically can reduce inflammation. Mm. Um, again, a very weird amino acid. If anybody's not familiar, not part of proteins and stuff like that. But you know what? And this is also reminiscent of the coffee stuff in California recently, right? Like, yeah. Oh, we need a warning on coffee because if we extract one little tiny component of these hundreds of compounds and give it to you in concentrated amounts, it could be related to cancer. Yeah. But that's not coffee. Like you said, it's again, there's so much else in the, in the tea anyway. Yeah. And last quick thing from the conference here, I had stopped by a booth and you talked about transdermals. They have a transdermal sodium bicarbonate. So baking soda, right? So there's some, Interesting studies showing that baking soda is uh, basically an extracellular buffer of hydrogen ions, right? So beta alanine, which forms uh, intramuscular carnosine, it's an intramuscular buffer of hydrogen ions. So, but the problem with giving people baking soda is they run to the bathroom pretty fast if the dose is too high and they're doing the Wilford Brimley two-step in there for quite a while. So you don't want to have any blow a gasket in the middle of your event is not going to be helpful for your performance. Um, so they did this as a transdermal preparation. So obviously you're going to bypass the oral absorption through the gut. Um, and they're going to send me, I think they said they have like two or three studies. Uh, one of them published in uh, MedSci, Sports and Nutrition. So very reputable ACSM journal. Um, so I'm in the process of looking into that and they gave me a couple samples to, to test out. So yeah, might be interesting. Hmm. Cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think when we report on a workshop or a conference, it's one of the best things a podcast can do, right? Because yeah. we're out there running around doing this as part of what we do, and then we can – and it's 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 more satisfying for us too, right? If you want to have an impact, like let's let people know about this. So, you know, maybe the 100 people in the crowd are, aren't the only ones to hear about it, you know, but – Yeah. Um, speaking of – uh, articles. I This is sort of a, a self-plug, so I apologize for that part, but there is a, a piece on tnation.com right now, 11 best books for smart meatheads, and our listeners probably know, I'm, I just pushed the one I usually do, the Mel Williams Sports Nutrition book, um, because a lot of the books on the list from other people, they were what I call industry books, and it's not that they're bad, right, but when you read an industry book from a particular perspective, it doesn't give you a broad base of like metabolism and physiology, right? So I was pushing the Mel Williams Sports Nutrition book uh, 
for that. And again, I, I kind of went on my usual tirade about we we need to weave in a couple of uh, collegiate level textbooks, you know, to build a base with this because otherwise you could get something very specific. Uh, and there are a ton of incredible books out there from the industry, like Purposeful Primitive or Five Three One. I mean, you know, we all know that. But um, I was being my usual professor curmudgeon self and just talking about, listen, go buy a a nice broad spectrum sports nutrition book. And I like that one because it ramps up so nicely from beginner stuff to nice little literature reviews. It's pricey, right? One hundred and fifty dollars for the latest edition, uh, paperback no less. But you go back just one edition and you cut the price way, way down, and you yeah. get and, and that's one of those things that barely changes from edition to edition, right? So the, the book publishers need to do that to make money. But hell, you know we're consumer advocates, so listen, go back one or even two, get the eighth edition for Christ's sake instead of the tenth. You're still fine, and you just slashed the price, and you got a ton of great. I would I would suggest unbiased information, you know. Yeah. So. That's one of my tips to people is exactly that is, you know, find a good quality textbook, go back one or two editions, and if you buy it used, you can get it like so cheap, and the differences are very minor most of the time. Yep. Literally with the Mel Williams one, I would think it, it I swear to God, at least over the years, in my opinion, five or 10% maybe, you know, difference. Uh, anyway. Um, also, from a publication standpoint, uh, the Journal of the ISSN. Um, we recently completed the research and recommendations piece. It's one of the most highly referenced um, manuscripts that come out of that journal because it's a broad spectrum. Like, what do supplements do? What do we know about the current state? So we, we rewrote that this past year, uh, and that's going to be published in JISSN um, very shortly, I would think, if it's not already nice. up. So that'll be cool because uh, we haven't done that since 2010. And I, I was working on the protein section, and there's been a lot of stuff with, um, especially with older guys needing a little higher doses or the protein type needing different doses, like you, you alluded to last week, Mike. You know, so, mm -hmm. you know, it's really important to update that every, I think they do it about every six or seven years. So that we, it's literally rewritten. So it's really worth going to check that out. If you want to know about dietary supplements, uh, when I get the reference, I'll send it out to everybody. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge undertaking, right? Because it's about, essentially all supplements my god imagine you know from herbals and protein recovery to this and that and carbs and fats oh. And, oh yeah so i just worked on my little section but yeah that'll be updated soon yeah, um, and the caffeine one is still in the process of being reworked and hopefully it'll be out later this year fall or sometime depending on how long the peer review is so right. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you were working on that and let me know that that was going to happen because i'm very interested in that for obvious reasons you know because of the coffee yeah and stuff. it's uh i'm only the third author on it and the other two have been doing just a ton of work on it which is amazing and holy crap as you guys know that's just a monstrous amount of data to sift through <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah okay um we did get one bit of listener mail that is also news from matt so he says um not sure if you guys saw this on science daily but as a fellow science nerd slash fitness guy i thought you would be interested and it opens a can of worms, Matt, and I bet you know this, uh, but it's a new paper about, um, I'm presuming, saturated fat here. I'm pretty sure. Let me take a look at this. And actually being having some beneficial aspects, like full-fat dairy, you know, because dietitians love to push the low-fat and fat-free dairy. Uh, that's been part of the recommendations for ages. Um, but, you know, are we over-demonizing 
saturated fat, basically, right, as an automatic trigger for heart disease and whatnot. But it says, uh, again, this is through Science Daily, the title, New Research Could Banish Guilty Feeling for Consuming Whole Dairy Products. Uh, the source is University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. Uh, they have even a little summary on Science Daily, which I think is nice. Enjoying full-fat milk, yogurt, cheese, and butter is unlikely to send people to an early grave, according to new research. Uh, <laughs> it says the study published t today in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And again, um, listeners, that is a very high-tier journal. Um, in fact, it's the number one nutrition journal for rigor, uh, impact factor. Uh, anyway published in AJCN, found no significant link between dairy fats and cause of death, more specifically heart disease and stroke. In fact, certain types of dairy fat may help guard against having a severe stroke. It says, quote, our findings not only support but also significantly strengthen the growing body of evidence that suggests dairy fat, contrary to popular belief, does not increase the risk of heart disease or overall mortality in older adults. Now, a lot of our people need to, I think they recognize some of this stuff. We, we look at elderly because that's where, I mean, heart disease doesn't just happen when you're old, but it's a slow, chronic process, right? And looking at older groups when it actually hits can be helpful. Uh, it says one fatty acid present in dairy may lower the risk of death from cardiovascular disease, particularly stroke. Now, this does not say which fatty acid, which drove me nuts because this, this is, in press it's not published yet mm. uh, and i don't know how science daily got the juicy tidbits but i wasn't i didn't have the time to dig enough i will tell everyone um palmitic acid and stearic acid are two of the fats that make up a lot of the sat fat in milk right so like you drink a cup of whole milk it's got eight grams of fat i mean that's like half a candy bar with a fat in an eight ounce cup of milk but um I'm guessing it's probably the palmitic or stearic acid. I think myristic acid is a significant contrib contributor, you know, to the fat content of milk. Um, but essentially, yeah, you know, especially Mike, you and I laughing recently about heavy whipping cream, you know, or yeah. And I love Irish butter, like Kerrygold Irish mm, butter. Oh, so bring mm -hmm. it, you know. Um, it said the study looked at multiple biomarkers of fatty acids present in dairy, and related them to heart disease and all-cause mortality over a 22-year period. 3,000 adults, and they were, you had to be 65 years or older, again, because they're looking for these manifestations, right? Most 20-year-olds <laughs> aren't, aren't ischemic, you know? Um, it says, none of the fatty acid types were significantly associated with total mortality. And then it goes on to say one type was linked to lower, with 42% lower risk of dying from stroke. Wow. Now, our listeners know dairy usually gets the spotlight because dairy proteins are well, they're the highest quality proteins you can consume, probably. You know, whey and casein are quite different, but both of them fast or slow, or the leucine in the whey, the slower acting casein, also with benefits. So it's usually the protein stuff in the milk. Uh, but now we're, no, we're, no, fats. Um, so yeah, and then it goes on to say the 2015 to 2020 dietary guidelines for Americans recommend the fat-free and low-fat dairy. But I think all of us know you got to be careful with the fat-free stuff because... Oftentimes, there's more sugar in some of these products, like the yogurts and stuff like that. And yeah, then you're getting rid of sat fat, which this study suggests isn't a problem, these kinds, uh, or at least in this food. Uh, and then you're going to replace it with sugary crap. You know, it's like the fat free peanut butter that my brother used to eat. I'm like, why are you doing oh. that? They removed the oleic acid, that nice monounsaturated fat, and they're going to pump it full of sugar. 
Like, don't do that, bro. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, Especially thank you, Matt. foods that are, like, high fat to begin with. Like peanut butter. They're supposed to be fat in peanut butter. That's kind of how it works. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what yeah. that shit is. Or butter, like, yeah. you know, butter is, it's essentially fat. It is fat. Yeah. Right? Tributerin. Holy God. <laughs> anyway, interesting uh, stuff from, uh, thank you, Matt, because I hadn't seen that, actually. And uh, the can of worms that it opened up, to go back to my original point, was the theory that saturated fat raises blood cholesterol. That goes back, uh, you know, circa 1969. Um, so yeah, like, there were a couple of guys that won the Nobel Prize, actually. Brown and Goldstein. Uh, for looking, oh, saturated fat alters LDL receptors on your liver, and you end up with more "quote unquote" bad cholesterol in your blood. And but there is just an enormous amount of back and forth. You know, just like the protein damages your kidneys and all that crap. Also, the saturated fat stuff. People in the know they know that that's more complicated than a lot of you know uh, journalists or e- even some dietitians make it look. Right? It's not just fat. Fat is bad. Don't eat it. Especially when you're going to deny yourself you know, grass-fed Irish butter for no purpose, mm-hmm. potentially. I think it's a genetic thing, right? That We need some more um, patient-specific, like, tailored recommendations. Because if you don't have have problems with, uh, you know, serum cholesterol, or you're not going to respond badly to the sat fat, here sounds like could be a good thing. So, okay. Yeah. And you see that in some ketogenic diets where your fat is super high that, you know, most people, the triglycerides, all their markers are good, but, you know, anecdotally, there's a small, you know, percentage of some people who, for whatever reason, just don't respond as well from a health perspective to that. Um, but, you know, for the most part, even high levels there appear to be, you know, pretty good. So it's, it's hard to make blanket statements across the board all the time. Totally. And I'm not, we are, I don't think, or at least I'm not going to say, eat all the sat fat you possibly can. And again, you got to think about your goals and the slow, yeah. you know, accumulation of this if you're at risk. But yeah, young lifters, I'm not going to deny them saturated fat, like I've said before, over a, you know, 10 or 20 week diet because of some vague risk. There could be some other issues with saturated fat too, like physiologically, but all I'm just going to say is it's, it's more complicated than a lot of people know. So uh, to me, it's the, is it worth it rule, you know, and w- with stuff like heavy whipping cream in your coffee um worth it <laughs> so it, it, everybody's got to make that decision so yeah especially if your blood work you're having it done and your doc's looking at it and everything's fine you know, it's okay Probably no right don't need to worry that much then <laughs> right no that's a good point that's a good point okay uh let's go to break when we come back we're going to talk about part two of our mass gain like mini series here specifically about training training for hypertrophy and again this is from an itunes request so We'll be back in just a minute. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world 
and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, folks, we're back. It's Mike, it's Lonnie, it's Phil. We're going to talk about muscle mass gain. Um, like with last week when we call, talked about nutrition and recovery, this is built into almost everything we do. Um, although Phil and I, we were talking about uh, last week, it might have been, or the week before, about some people are quite small. Oh, it's your Special mm. Olympics guy, right? They can be thin yeah. and you know, strong as hell, really. <laughs> yeah. So, But usually there's a, there's a parallel relationship, right, a, a sort of linear relationship. As you gain muscle mass, you become stronger, bigger engine. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil, let's start with you. Uh, some of the first things that come to mind with me, like question-wise, would be volume, because, you know, uh, very, very low rep, I think, is traditionally considered strength, but then you need a certain amount of volume for size, and that also calls into question frequency times per week, I guess, like if you look at weekly volume. But how do you handle, if you have somebody comes to you and says, oh, Phil, help, I like, I'm too, th- I, I need to build mass. Yeah. Well, number one, of course, which we're not gonna we already addressed, but making sure they're eating. But after that, it's uh, I, I, depending on the person. You know, if I have somebody that that really loves training and doesn't mind training to the point of near exhaustion, uh, we'll go more of a less frequent route where we're really, uh, kind of going like bodybuilder esque, where we just your term a tissue assassin. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just go and beat beat things up, and then uh then rest that for a week um i have other people that don't that aren't kind of into that so much and they're more of a uh we do more work over time so then we'll move into the more volume over a week type of thing and then then we'll up the frequency i really don't like uh high frequency training 
like right now it's slowing down a little bit, but like the squat every day thing was yes. huge. Mm-hmm. Eh, I'm not a fan of that stuff more than short stints of like four to six weeks. I just see people getting overuse injuries and things like yeah. that very quickly. So I'll do some of that, but like I said, it's it's a four to six week stint, and then it's back to something more manageable. Um, so we will do some of that. Like I'll have them squat three hard three days a week or something like that, oh. along with some Olympic lifts in between mm-hmm. um, for my lifters. But uh, yeah, it's a definitely. I mean, number one, it's just upping the volume drastically, and we're not we're not so worried about the load at this point. It's just getting your pump on. <laughs> if you will. Yeah. And you then, know, Phil, then, you once said, I don't know if you remember this, this was months ago, but um, you're making an extreme point. Like, and again, not that you would recommend this necessarily, but if some guy does 10 sets of 10 with a medium weight and curls every day, his arms are going to get bigger. You know, yes. like yeah. it's sort of proof of concept that you need yeah. some volume, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, uh, me as a good case of this, like ever since my hip, I haven't been able to do volume on my legs. I am stronger than ever, but my legs are not what they were <laughs> because yeah. I just can't get the volume. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's figuring out ways to do that. So, I mean, in the perfect world, it's a mix of both. You know, we take time doing the volume, and then after that, we slowly ramp up and add the strength on, and then reverse the process again and keep going as long as I'm working with somebody that's not in a weight class or something. Um, Somebody that's in a like at the top of their weight class, then we spend a lot more time just working pure strength and technique. So, right, but. you know, to me, one of the first questions when you talk about volume or frequency is how much it, how much of it is that tissue assassin, that eccentric mm-hmm. using negatives. Like I can tell you in the lab over the years, it's somewhere between twenty five and maybe forty five total negatives, total repetitions, mm-hmm. uh, eccentric repetitions wrecks people like if you use mm-hmm. enough weight because you can use a lot of weight with negatives you even over your one rep max you know so you're literally sure. training with 120 percent of your ability um yeah but usually if you f- futz around you only do a couple of reps and again it depends on fitness status and even gender because women are more res- yeah. re- you know resilient uh, in that way against the tissue micro trauma Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, negatives have to be d- definitely part of that. And you're right. I think the bodybuilder thing that I mean, that's what I gravitated to for decades was really kind of tear it up on a micro level, yeah. you know, and then eat for a week. And honestly, yeah. when you, if you're incredibly sore and wrecked for two or three days afterwards, you know, that's a lot of growth. Why would you go back in the gym and train when you're yes. really that sore just eat and sleep and sleep and rotate you know like i used to like a three or a four-way split so each major muscle group got trained uh, yeah about once every five to seven days mm-hmm. you know and i always like that but yeah the volume thing there's always a question how much of this is purposeful negatives i mean negative yeah. eccentrics part of it, almost any contraction mm-hmm. unless you're a olympic lifter and you're doing almost you know mostly concentric stuff push mm-hmm. punch it up and then step back and let it fall kind of thing yeah, uh, but I, yeah, that's one thing you got to address. And yeah, to me, it's that twenty-five to forty-five repetition. You can do that across however many sets you want, you know. But that's got to be part of it. Uh, yeah, and it's during those times that I start messing around with things like, uh, like you just talked about, time and attention, things like that. So we'll con- we'll control your uh, eccentric motion and things like that. Yeah, it's a good way if you can't handle too much volume, too. Like um, similar to you, I'm older now, and if I go do some negatives. 
And some movements, it's really hard. Like negatives, doing eccentric squats, it's really kind of hard to do by yourself. Yeah. You yes. know, but, but um, oh, just talking about muscle activity, just devastation, man. And, and, and yeah. that causes so much growth, right? Satellite cell activation. We had Joey Antonio years ago talking about activating satellite cells and, you know, um, ending up literally with larger or even more muscle fibers over many years potentially and all that kind of cool stuff. And negatives are where a lot of that is. Uh, Mike, what about you as far as volume and frequency and how you go about it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a time and a place for negatives. And like you said, if, especially if someone is a very advanced lifter and hasn't done them in a while, then yeah, you can make an argument that maybe get some satellite cell activation and some other stuff going on. Um, usually for most people I work with where I have them start is, I'm like, well, if mass or hypertrophy is a goal from the literature, what is the main driver of that? Which appears to be volume, so matches everything you guys have said. And my next question is, how much volume can I get them to do over the course of a week or a couple of weeks? I usually look at it from a week standpoint because most people kind of like to know what they're doing on each day of the week and slight altercations from one week to the next. True. And then I'll actually try to spread out the stress as much as possible. So if they're doing, let's say, a bench press <laughs> to start on Monday, maybe they'll do an overhead press on Wednesday as an accessory and maybe some direct arm work at the end of their session on Friday, right? So if I look at the, the triceps, you know, they're getting a little bit of activation uh, three days out of the week. Um, that's kind of my preference where I would have people start. And then how much volume can I kind of add to that? So in general, I'll do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they'll start with more of a compound lift and then <clears throat> do some more accessory stuff. Tuesday, Thursday, or a Saturday, I may do, you know, kind of week part specific stuff. So if it's a guy and they're like, I just want to get bigger arms, yeah, I'll give them a, you know, an arm day. You know, it may start off with uh, overhead press and then uh, close grip chins and then do more specific isolation stuff. Um, just because it, yeah, I mean, isolation stuff is going to be helpful for their specific goal. But I do want to see the total volume being relatively high. And then in terms of going to failure, like on the bigger lifts, I usually don't have them go anywhere close to failure. I usually do more of a kind of a use stress model, you know, just take your time, do, you know, more complete rest. Brad Schoenfeld's got a study showing that that does help a little bit with hypertrophy. Um, but if you're doing an arm day and it's your, your last set or two and you want to go to failure on a, you know, tricep push down, cool, go crazy. You want to do a drop set on your last set, cool, go crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, there may be some benefit to that. And it's, I've seen it's just not enough stress to really screw up the whole program. You know, if they start doing crazy stuff and trying to get close to failure on, you know, squats and other exercises, it's, <laughs> wow, everything seems to circle the drain pretty fast. <laughs> right. Yeah. I like what you said about the weekly, like looking at it weekly, because you're right. Yeah. Schedule-wise, that's how people set this stuff up. And you can rotate yeah. movements and stuff, but it's worth bringing up that we're talking about, and, and Phil, you've sort of educated me on this too that powerlifters they do sort of borrow some of those bodybuilder-esque ideas you know in their off season and whatnot but bodybuilders of course looking at stuff in a body part split you know like a push pull legs day where you do push muscles one day pull the next and then legs as opposed to powerlifters of course are performance movements and like they they're not thinking about uh necessarily quad day or hamstring necessarily, but squat day, 
I would think, in, at least on some level. Um, yeah, but anyway, oh, yeah. so total volume has got to be way reduced in, in, and frequency. There's no way I would have someone do heavy negatives, uh, especially 25 reps, more than once a week probably. You know, um, I just think it's sort of counterproductive. It's, it's just so uh, micro-traumatic kind of thing. But Yeah. Yeah, and I tell people if they don't believe me, I'm like, okay, go to the gym, do a warm-up, do a set of bench press. Let's say just a 10-rep max and go find the way that you go absolutely as close to failure, do it in a cage, make sure you have a spotter, don't be an idiot and hurt yourself. Um, but, you know, go to failure, concentric failure, where you can't get the weight up anymore, and then rest completely, and then see how many reps you get after that, even if you rest completely, you know, versus hitting, you know, one or two reps just short of that point. And if you're just short of that point, you can accumulate a lot more volume than you can by, you know, going super, close to, to failure. Mm -hmm. So if we believe volume is a driver of hypertrophy, you know, for the most part, trying to get more volume and controlling that fatigue between each set, I think is gonna be beneficial. Yeah, the volume thing, again, yeah, you could probably do far more than the 25 total repetitions in a session uh, if, you, if you weren't just going crazy on the negatives, you know, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, exercise choices, Phil. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing you're going for the kind of the big major movements or do you do any oh, kind yeah. of isolation? Yeah. How do you? No, we do some. I mean, basically it'll be one big move and then like two or three smaller ones um, in general. And on the big moves, I do much like Mike was talking about. We just don't fail. We never do. So if I'm having you do, you know, I would, I would, this is just generic. It's not saying this is something I do all the time, but I mean, if, if I had a choice between like 10 sets of three, or three sets of 10, I would go towards the 10 sets of three side. Mm -hmm. um, we're looking to move things crisp, fast, and get the volume in without failing. Um, now on the other stuff, after that, um, then that's where we just get the volume. So I'm a big fan of like what Windler does. It's like, I'll just give you, you're doing, okay, you're doing 100 reps. Go do 100 curls. What, 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 wait, what, wait, I don't care. Just do 100. <laughs> if you do 100 of them, you're going to get some work done. Mm -hmm. You know? Do something hard. If you know, if you want to, you can make the first twenty of them really heavy, and then the next twenty not as heavy, and then whatever. I don't care. You're just doing a hundred of them. Um, you know, don't make it. You know, if you can curl hundred pound dumbbells, don't pick up tens. Make it a challenge on yourself. But uh, so we'll get a lot of the volume in with with small isolation moves. But yeah, we push we push the squat and and the deadlift and bench and things like that pretty hard. So I mean, then there's sometimes where, and I've seen this maybe as effective or more effective than than the other is just I have times where it's like okay it's we're squatting okay what else are we doing nothing we're just gonna <laughs> you know, we're gonna squat and then we're done squatting we're gonna squat and then right after that we're gonna squat some more <laughs> and you'd be amazed at you know what I've never met anybody that like when we're done with something like that that they're like oh well I really missed my you know vastus medialis no it's torch too <laughs> you know, everything is done yeah. if you go to a certain point you know as long as you're not stupid with the load and you're using something they can still hit, uh, you know, as as one muscle gets fatigued, other ones take over. Now, that's not going to be said with if you're nearing a maximal load. But as long as it's a, a load that they can handle fairly aptly, then, you know, other things are going to take over when they need to, and you're going to get everything. So Even for mass, right? Yeah. Even for mass gain, yeah. Yeah, yeah we... I mean, 
ages ago, yeah. we had a guy on the show. I, I can't remember who it was, but he had literally, I mean, he was a bodybuilder and he did one whole day was just biceps. A different day was triceps or like brachialis, brachioradialis kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, at some point oh. you can, you can split the body up so many different ways that if yeah. it's, if it's 10 days before you get back to your biceps day, yeah. I think we've kind of lost something. Like that's on the far end of the spectrum from what Phil just said, which is these these movement-focused things are good for size too. I do like some like direct arm work and stuff. Don't get me wrong. Um, but having a whole day for something that's so isolation, I think you're kind of wasting your time. You could be way more efficient, you know, with like, because I've always done the same thing that you just said, Phil, which is, pick a big compound movement i'm gonna like on leg day i would do squats and some stiff leg deadlifts and then the other stuff was sort of accessory you know you might do some quad extensions hamstring curls whatever really just kind of finish up and get a pump with it but there was always the meat and potatoes you know multi-joint compound movement uh to start the show you know uh what else on my list here We've got volume addressed. We've got uh, some frequency because that's tied into that, of course. Um, what about motivation, Phil? Uh, music, training partners, do you like, I know you like music, do you like to be left alone when it comes to your own training? Because some people are like, come on, bro. I, like, I don't really personally like that. Like, kind of leave me alone, you know? But maybe thoughts on motivation when it comes to training for size. Uh, it depends. Like train as far as training partners go, a training partner can be your best friend or your worst enemy, depending on the training partner. <laughs> so, it, and that's true. I mean, I've been in in gyms and groups where it's like I can, I can hundred percent say that some of my progress is just definitely due to the group I was with, mm -hmm. um, and the group rose everybody up as a whole. Um, I've been in other situations where I did worse because of the group I was with. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's very individual and very dependent. Some people really fire well off of external motivation from other people. And then some people just want you to shut up. And I have clients that are both. So we just figure that out. Okay. Yeah. And just like I have people that want to be smacked in the back and I have people that don't. Uh, so it, it's figuring that out yourself and finding out what's best for you. Um, I generally train by myself, but there are others around, um, then I can go at my pace and do what I need to do. So, yeah. And I just turn up the music. And generally, there will be people hollering, hooting, but I mean, I don't hear them a lot. Uh, it's just over years of doing this, I just I, I tune everything out and like 100% my head's on what I'm what I'm about to do. So, mm -hmm. I'm at the same thing at meets. I mean, people see me at meets are like, "You're so calm." I was like, "Yeah, it's just another meet." You know, when I go up on the platform, <laughs> I don't I don't hear. I don't hear, I don't see, you know, it's, uh, I couldn't tell you if somebody yelled something, you know, I'm not paying attention to that. hundred percent of my, hundred percent of my cognitive ability is set on the task I'm about to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's a horrible answer, but it's the right one I have. So it's, it depends on the person. You got to figure out for each individual what, what lights their fire as far as training goes. Yeah. Yeah. I always like what what you just said as well like uh, not a training partner but maybe a couple of people that you know kind of milling around in the general area so if you did need a spot or something you are going to do some negatives you could get a quick you know hand, helping hand there but mostly just headphones you know i'm kind of in my own uh, zone you know but having some people around can be helpful i know not all of our listeners have that luxury 
either, you know, but uh, yeah, I never liked a, a, a direct training partner, just some, maybe some people that I know. But. Yeah, and I'm lucky at like my at my facility and the people that come in and train on like my squat day, they know me enough that they just know when I need a spot mm-hmm. by seeing. Okay, he's up to 600. Somebody better get over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and two people just kind of stroll over. You know. Yeah. Other than that, they just leave me alone. So uh, because if they don't come walking over, I'll just take it. And that's but that's the way I am. It's like okay, nobody's here. Fuck it, I can't miss. Right, <laughs> better not miss. <laughs> Here we go. So, um, but you know they do a real good job of just keeping an eye. We all keep an eye on each other, you know, and yeah. it's it's kind of unsaid thing. And then, okay, he's going for that. Well, okay, let's get over there. So yeah, I think I would like uh, the small group more than a single training partner. You know, two more reps, yeah. bro. I don't want any of that. You know, but uh, having a little group like that, more team kind yeah. of thing, uh, that might that might work better. I think. Yeah, and everybody's hollering for each other. It's a good uh I like that best, the small group and they're all training. And honestly, like on Saturday, we're all training for different things. But it's good to have people that are dedicated and training hard for something mm-hmm. around you. Mm-hmm. It pushes you up. So, yeah. Um Mike, what about you? How do you do you have to motivate some of your clients cuz you work in a different kind of environment from Phil, of course. Yeah. Um how do you deal with that? Cuz you got to be motivated to grow, right? Yeah, so most of my stuff is online. I mean, I do have some people that, that come in from out of town or locally or fly in or whatever. Just we do more technique sessions in the garage, but we've had like four people over a few times and just done, you know, longer training sessions and stuff. And uh, that's been super cool. It's been super fun. But usually I'll ask them, I said, okay, where is the gym? Where do you go to? And then I look at their compliance. It's like, okay, are you able to get in the amount of work and everything that we've got written out for you? If not, then is it a schedule thing? Is it a time thing? Is it, like you said, a motivational thing? Um, some people, especially, I don't work with too many beginners at all, but to have someone that they actually had to meet at the gym was like the only way they would get anything done. So a couple of years ago, I had a few online clients who were more on the beginner side. And I, at one point, I told two of them, like, um, I'm just gonna cancel your contract. You need to go work with a trainer. I know this person. Uh, yeah, it's a half hour drive from you, but I know your personality now, and if you have to pay that person and they're waiting at the gym for you, you're gonna show up. Their biggest problem right now is that you, there's no compliance and I'm not where you are, so there's only so much I can do from a distance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it, it, it also depends on what is your goals and what are you trying to do. I think everyone at some point should train if they're trying to get stronger or bigger in a gym that you know, has pretty, I'd say, hardcore, you know, lifters or more advanced lifters just to kind of see what is possible. Mm -hmm. And I think even just having a couple of those experiences you can kind of uh, draw from, I think, is useful, even as you kind of um, get older. I mean, most of the time now, probably 99.5% of the time, I train by myself, which I like. The flip side is I have a much harder time going to another gym and doing kind of a, a higher output or a testing type scenario because I just don't have much practice with it and it feels weird, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. add in that, you know, if you've been in the industry long enough, there's like a, only a handful of people I trust to really give me instruction where I would just be like, walk into the gym and be like, all right, what do I do? You know, there's not too many people I have that much trust with with my own training per se. Um, but 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, what works for you. And I think having a couple of those experiences you can draw from and when you get the right environment, it can be extremely beneficial. I was in Costa Rica a couple of weeks ago and did the mass two, you know, three rounds of that there. And, you know, that was a crazy environment. And like Phil was saying, like the last few reps of the last set, I it's like the whole world like shrunk to the size of a pin. And Pat Davidson was just yelling in my face and I yelling at the top of his lungs. I still didn't hear him. You know, you get into that sort of hypervigilant state. But yeah, yeah. I think having experience with that is is helpful. So if you have to go to that extreme, you know what that feels like, um, to, you know, to go to a, a 10 out of a 10. And then when you kind of go back to your own facility or wherever you're training at, you can then kind of, you know, dial it back to wherever you need to at that point. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for when you have other people around, even just frame of reference, like, Totally. Not just the weight on the bar, but muscle mass. Like you might actually yeah. think you look pretty good. And we've all seen people that they, they'll go to a bodybuilding show and you're kind of wincing like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, you didn't have enough of a reference point. You feel pretty good and you might have really changed and progressed from, you know, going from shit to suck, <laughs> as mm -hmm. some of you guys will say. But you know what I mean? But you, you need to have some reference. And like if you're going to go into a national qualifier, go watch one of those even if you don't have have a gym membership go watch some of those shows expose yourself so you have some frame of reference it's actually very motivating to go to a competition you know or or that kind of thing or a, a bigger gym where there's some real behemoths you know walking around cuz you're like wow that's possible now it might be possible with pharmacy involved <laughs> but at least you're you're motivated by it either way you know so i think yeah. it's kind of helpful too yeah. And I would say the flip side of that too is that at least for powerlifting or strongman or whatever is don't let some of those people completely intimidate you, not because they're trying to on purpose, but I mean everyone has to start somewhere and you know, I've only done a handful of meets and competitions, nowhere near what Phil has, but I Phil can probably attest to this too, that in those types of sports, like the people that you meet are extremely helpful and encouraging. Oh, yeah. I mean yeah. I don't I can't even remember at a, you know, just even a local, you know, higher-ish level meet that anyone was like nothing but beneficial and helpful. Mm -hmm. I think there's a tendency to be like, oh, I'm not strong enough yet. Oh, I'm not strong enough yet. And yeah. then like eight years go by and it's like, no, just pick a day, sign up. Yeah. No one's going to laugh at you for doing it. If anything else, they're going to be happy that you actually had the balls to show up and yeah. perform on a specific you know, day and good then point. help you. Yeah, or not big enough yet. I mean, I, I yeah, fell into yeah. that myself. I'm not big enough. I'm not big enough. It's like, you know, I, I'm, uh, yeah, at some point, yeah, you just got, I would say one caveat though. Don't approach someone when they're doing warm ups at a meet. Uh, you know, don't no, go, or no. a big set in the gym. <laughs> hey, Phil, can you, because, you know, then he's going to, and he would never do this otherwise, but he might just rip your head off just for a moment. <laughs> like, yeah, no, yeah. not now. Somebody get this guy out of here. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. That's because don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're setting yourself up to fail then, I think. Like, yeah. that's just not good social grace timing at all. <laughs> so, Bad etiquette. <laughs> right. Etiquette. There you go. Yeah. Don't ask the giant guy who's normally very cool. He's surprisingly going to be helpful. I agree with that very much. You know, the big self-confidence guys and gals, they're going to be solid gold sources of information, but not during the big set. Don't do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, as far as music goes, I just wanted to turn people on. There are a lot of free 
uh, music. There's a lot of free music if you have a like a YouTube app on your phone or just use your web browser on your phone. Whole albums, you know. I don't know how YouTube uh, allows this. Like occasionally they'll send me a nasty little note about about something. You know, be careful with what you're putting on YouTube or something. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, there's whole movies and whole CDs. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, and, and now sometimes they get taken down eventually, but. It is a resource I wanted to turn people on to. In fact, even on like uh, our little YouTube page ourselves, uh, I put up a link to, there's a local band. These kids are freaking talented. It's post-metal or post-rock kind of thing. It's called, their name is If These Trees Could Talk. And my favorite mm. album is Red Forest. And it's it's instrumental, right? It's It's guitar, it's atmospheric. I love it. Like, if you don't want too much, like sometimes there are a movie soundtrack that really speaks to you. I still listen to that old Basil Polidorus or whatever his name was, like the Conan soundtrack and stuff. <laughs> that's that's great in the background because it's not too distracting or, Phil, I know you'll listen to stuff like Pantera. And, like, you've listened to it a thousand times, but it just sort of sets the stage in the background, yeah. you know. Um, Phil, do you have any thoughts on music, either updates to what you like or... Um, no, I mean it just needs to be for me. It's it's something I know. I don't want to have to think about what the hell is this playing. So it's mm -hmm. like I have a handful of songs. Once it's heavy, that's okay. Those are the ones I'm going to because I like everything. I can just get lost in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to, have to like I'm not searching for lyrics or something stupid. You know, <laughs> I know it and uh, I can just go and then turn it up loud and let me let me let me get after it. So okay, yep. I like old Van Halen for a lot of that stuff. You know, I, I just, it's, I've listened to it for what feels like a hundred years and I don't have to pay that much attention to it, but yeah, it sets some sort of background stage. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And, and it is input, you know, like uh, I once had a martial arts instructor say, you know, you, you should be more Zen about it. And I know we've talked about this before, like not crunching up your face necessarily and all that kind of stuff, but um, the input just the excitation of your central nervous system, I think it does underlay, if not underwrite, some of that performance. Uh, Mike, I'm yeah. curious about you, though, because you're so tuned in tune with the metal <laughs> stuff, no pun intended. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some recent favorites, or what do you go for, you know? Yeah, I'm, like, totally old school. Like, I don't want to mess with my phone <clears throat> for the most part in the gym. Mm -hmm. When I go in the garage, I've got a old school CD player, and I'm probably one of the rare people that actually still buys music Discs. nowadays. I may listen to something online and see if I like it, and then I'll actually go purchase it because I like the, the CD and supporting the artists and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you and Rob are um, the same with that, yep. Yeah, so I have a, a CD player and a stereo in my garage, and sometimes I've got like the selections I'd normally listen to out there, but you know, sometimes I'll go inside and pull from some other stuff. I have 1,400 CDs, so I've got a <laughs> pretty big selection to pick from, but um, my current phrase I've been listening to a lot are uh, Five Finger Death Punch, mm -hmm. uh, some older Darkest Hour, Zayo, Demon Hunter, uh, Hatebreed. A couple of newer ones I've been listening more to are kind of on the heavier industrial side, like... Uh, one band called Circus of Dead Squirrels, uh, Rabbit Junk, and um, Cyanotic. So those are kind of my, my go-tos as of late. Oh, I, I'll check them out myself because, you, yeah, you, you've <laughs> turned me on some good stuff lately. You know, in, in, over time, right, even if it is new, uh, it does eventually become familiar. You know, like some of the, uh, the, the, yeah. the first time you turn me on to, like, some of the Five Finger Death Puncher, 
I think it was Rob turned me on to soil work or some of those, uh, you know, just driving. And, you know, some of these kids are freaking talented, you know. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, like, even some of the live stuff I like, like the, the dual disc, uh, the live soil work is really good. Um, oddly enough for me, like, soil work is something if I'm just kind of doing something of moderate intensity. Um, so I have different times where I like if I'm doing like a heavier deadlift to start I may pick something super heavy and then I may go to something which for me would be a little bit lighter so soil work sometimes is a little bit lighter it's definitely in the, the heavier category right on yeah I should also I, I would be remiss if I didn't say iced earth I love that stuff oh yeah um, great. they've changed over the years right with the different you know singers and this and that but like some of the stuff the sort of the epic you know demons and angels you know end uh, times stuff man wow it just chills so you can find it their live three cd set done in athens from god it's probably almost 10 plus years ago now yeah it's amazing it's my favorite really good and yeah oh, and you know what live you know someone has talent they sound as good or better live you know than they yeah. do from the studio oh so good that, that is the athens one is one of my favorites i think yeah, and I'd say not in the same category, but a little bit more on the progressive metal side is uh, Devin Townsend Project. He used to be the lead singer for Strapping Young Lad. Um, but a CD that came out about two years ago is phenomenal. He's just got a new a live DVD that just came out and it's really good. Sweet. Okay, well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, I know Phil's out of here. Uh, you know, volume... Uh, we talked. We didn't talk that much about loads. I mean, moderately heavy loads. You know that kind of stuff. We talk about eccentric and concentric contraction types and movements and different kinds of splits. Um, you know, motivation as far as music and training partners. So that's the training side of mass gain. I think if you pair this episode with last week's on nutrition, you're going to have a pretty comprehensive approach to getting almost guaranteed. You know, beefier. Uh, over the next half a year. So, uh, having said that, I guess we're done. So, we'll uh, catch up next week. See ya. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So 
Thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.